English are so funny. They're weird. Why won't they just speak English like the rest of us? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know why they call it English. They don't even speak it properly. So. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the More Than Just Code podcast. I am your guest host this week. My name is Greg Hio in Toronto, Canada, and I'm joined by, just down the street from me, Tim Mitra. Hey, how you doing? And a little bit more than a long walk, more like a long drive in Whitby, Ontario, is Aaron Vay. How's it going? And way on the other side of the continent, in sunny Seattle, Washington, it's Jaime Lopez. How's it going? <laughs> and sending his regrets is from an undisclosed location, Dr. Mark Rubin. So uh, I posted a link on the, the, the notes about the developer server that came out on Stack Overflow uh, for 2015. What were we talking about today? What were the highlights, Greg? Do you remember? Uh, I think the sad state of women in there. We were talking about the age. Shock. I think the average age of a developer is 28.9. So it's 29, which seemed yeah. young to me for some reason. I don't know why, especially for an yeah. average. I would think the average would be older. But then I was saying, yeah. I guess people move into management or something and stop yeah. coding and they stop <laughs> answering these kind of surveys. So it could just I be guess, the age yeah, of yeah. Stack Overflow. It's the age of Stack Overflow users, not perhaps, programmers perhaps, as yeah. a whole. Oh, and half of respondents never received a CS degree, which maybe, again, skews to that's why they're on a question and answer site if you're kind of ungenerous. Mm, or it could just right. be <laughs> the benefit of living of an industry where you, where you can be self-taught. And I think all of us here are self-taught, except for Jaime, maybe? Without yeah, CS really degrees? Yeah. 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 So we fit that. Uh, I think that was, those are the highlights. Oh, so Swift showed up. Swift showed up as the most loved language on the list. Yeah. In yeah. second place, believe it or not, C++11. But Swift was number one on the most what? loved. Yeah. C++. I'm looking at that. I it's think crazy. it's C++ developers who are like, oh my god, C++11 by comparison is amazing. So I can see why they would vote that. Mm -hmm. Whereas mm -hmm. if you were mm -hmm. a Ruby developer, you'd look at C++11 and say, this is still garbage. But I guess relatively speaking, if you're in that bubble. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised Ruby's not in this list of most loved. Yeah, I think Ruby people think it's okay, but I'm not sure how much how I actually love it. I don't know. I love Ruby. I like it too. I mean, I would I when I was a Ruby developer, I really liked it too. So it's a little surprising. Even Python made the list at 66, 66. Mm -hmm. 66.6 appropriately enough, but no Ruby. Mm -hmm. It's a little surprising. Mm -hmm. I think Ruby probably had its time in the sun as far as being the darling of the world during mm. the Ruby on Rails period. Mm. And then people have moved on from that as being like the hot thing. And now mm -hmm. I see Ruby and more in like scripts and things, right? Like Cocoa Pods would be a perfect example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ruby like a, behind the, the, you know, behind the, the curtain, but not actually front and center. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I think the mm -hmm. other thing was, oh, I just missed it. Tabs versus spaces. There was the thing that as developers become more experienced, they prefer spaces rather than tabs. So noobs, oh, really? noobs wow. use tabs is the TLDR there. Wow. Yep. Uh, just scrolling through, I think those are the highlights, at least uh, at least for me. Oh, and the compensation. I think they asked for salary this year, which maybe they right, haven't done yeah. before. And Objective yeah. C came out pretty close to the top, or mm -hmm. at the top, at least for the U.S. Or yeah, for the U.S. at least. Oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Funky. Poor PHP developers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like quite a drop off there. The other highlight I remember now that I'm scrolling down is remote workers get paid more. There was something like that. Obviously, it was like people who work remote scored higher on happiness or something like that, but they also get paid 40% <laughs> more or something like that than people who don't work remotely. So there's something about... Really? So hmm. if you work remotely as an Objective-C developer and live in the you know 
live in Thailand or something, you have like the best bang for your buck or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Job satisfaction by developer type. Mm. Compensation by remote staff. There it is, number eight, yeah. That's interesting to kind of go through these numbers. Um, what's, with, what's with Acrobat being renamed? What was it called? Acrobat DC? What does that mean? What? I got yeah. the new Acrobat Reader on my phone, and they said Acrobat Reader is now <clears throat> Adobe Acrobat DC. Quick, quick question. Um, so Greg has one about the stuff that just came out today with iOS updates, OS ten updates. Mm -hmm. um, WWDC tickets tomorrow? Question mark. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's just being a jerk. Am I? No, really. I think you are. Last no, come year, on. no, last year they announced it on a Thursday, and then yeah, they, they said, right. put your yeah. name in the lottery, and we'll tell you about it on a Monday. So I was thinking yeah. it might even be last week, like April 2nd, but because yeah. WWDC is supposedly a week later, it's supposed to be June 8th this week, then this tomorrow is actually the date that lines up for that. So Well, and we know it's going to be, we think it's going to be June 8th, because I went on to the, we were, we were talking about this on Slack today, and, and so I went to the uh, Moscone West schedule and saw that... Uh, that June 8th was a corporate event, which is how it was listed last year. So, June 8th. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, no, the, the stars do align for, if they're doing, again, lottery on Thursday results on Monday, then tomorrow is going to be the Thursday, I think, at least. Yeah. The, we know, well, so don't you think that kind of clouds the whole issue with... I think we should talk about this. What do you think, Jaime? Seems it's just like a, just it might a, be an interesting thing, because they've, they've decided to release a whole bunch of things this month that will put their network ops people to the test. Yeah. yeah this week sure. is going to be, especially if tomorrow, well, it, it'll certainly be a big week for them, as we said many times already. Big week with all these things. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you have to have an Apple Watch to see whether you got the ticket selected or not. People hmm. who pre-ordered at midnight will get first dibs on tickets. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Watch, obviously. What about Aaron's thing about pro hardware stalling? I had something after that because of pro software. I don't use Final Cut, but I know there was people saying, are they going to keep maintaining it and them killing Aperture and is Photos app a real replacement for it? So I was, that was kind of, I wasn't sure, Aaron, where did the hardware thing come from? Um, okay. Well, yeah, the thing, my thinking about hardware is just that uh, I've generally upgraded my MacBook Pros every two years and I'm almost at uh, two and a half years now, mm -hmm. and I, I have no incentive to upgrade right now because I don't see anything in the market that offers a compelling uh, improvement for what I have right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, looking around at Apple's Pro product lines, the the Mac Pro hasn't been updated since its introduction last year. Um, mm -hmm. The Airs haven't been up, haven't been updated since 2013 either. Yeah, well, they're not pro machines, but yeah, your point is well taken. No, but I, I think I think though I think though I, my guess would be that the reason why is they're getting the space gray, you know, Airs and the space gray um, Apple uh, MacBook Pros ready for Mac Pringle to buy, you know, so ready for what? I'm sorry, it's an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of space gray to mine to uh, make inside all those jokes. Computers. Really, is this from the Slack group? I'm yeah, yeah, wondering. Yeah, yeah. Dang. Yeah. yeah okay. mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just not there, so I have no idea what you're talking about. No, but um, I mean, I mean, the whole like the whole obviously the, to me the the idea of going with a gold MacBook and a gold and a space gray MacBook and a, is there a silver one too? Yeah, right. Like a, so, a so they're, they're mimicking they're mimicking the, you know the the iPhone and iPad well, lines, yeah, right? Clearly, and, yeah. And yeah. so I think they're probably going to continue that into the Pro markets as well, wouldn't you think? It's it's a possibility, but I wouldn't take it for granted. Though it'd be um, really cool to get a nice black. MacBook Pro, don't you think? Absolutely. Like, um, same color as the as the the Mac Pro. Yeah. Well, the point I was really making is that uh, Apple is sort of 
dialing it back. It's really not even Apple's fault, though. I don't think it. I think it's related to Intel. Uh, oh, they've had yeah. a lot of right, a lot yeah. of delays in their their new CPU architectures and mm-hmm. um, uh, and the improvements that they have come up with uh, have have been sort of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's as you know clear a sign of anything is is what's in the MacBook right now or the new MacBook right, uh, right. very very underwhelming CPU performance. Um, you now I understand that these machines are not meant for professional users, but uh, even so, you're looking at performance that we've had for three years, four years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're saying that it's comparable to a 2011 MacBook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, CPU performance is just not. Uh, advancing as quickly as it used to, and uh, the machines themselves are are not as compelling an upgrade, uh, even from my two and a half year old MacBook Pro. So, yeah. right, right. I saw a story my, about my the the thirteen inch Pros, and there were some complaints about uh, yet again, what, like when the Retina machines first came out. But they say the new thirteen inch Pros have problems with scrolling, and that whatever the new Intel Iris chipset is seems to be worse than the previous generation somehow even though it's got a higher model number and right. i don't just know that, if it's just bad drivers because it just came out or what it is but uh, that, is that, that, that's, that. a, that's a new stealth uh, upgrade you were talking about when you were on the show last time right the fact that the did the 13 pro get updated last in the last yeah time yeah, update? yeah. The, well both of them did the 13 and the 15 got updated with the new force touch trackpad i don't think oh, the 15 right, got right. did the 15 i thought the 15 didn't get an update no i don't think so i don't no? think it's yeah. just just the 13 but that's and greg was anticipating because greg was on the show just before the last announcement right and he was anticipating that there might be some sort of iteration of the 13s or whatever because you were thinking you were thinking of buying a 15 now, Greg, or something like that, or I was saying I wanted to. I want USB three. Yeah, right. I want USB Type C now on my MacBook oh. Pro. So I'm probably going to wait another year. Stretch it out. Why not? Okay. All right. Well, I think that's that's sort of what I'm getting at. It's like you know, Apple's hardware updates are leaving me going from a two year upgrade cycle to a three year upgrade cycle. Right. Yeah. Which is odd because, like I said before, back in the my development dealer days, it was 18 months was was how long we waited between iterations of hardware. Um, so, but Greg, you were sort of saying there was a corollary to that with the Pro software. You were guessing about Final Cut Pro and Logic, I guess. I don't use those apps, so I don't know. But I know a lot of people complain when Final Cut Pro 10 or X, however you want to say it, came out, yeah, saying it yeah. doesn't meet my needs, and I'm a pro, and I've used six or seven for a long time. Yeah. And then with them killing Aperture, which I do use all the time. I think Aaron, I remember you saying you use that too. Is that right? Aperture. I don't use those at all. Oh, never mind then. Another yeah. podcast, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Another Aaron. I do use Aperture a lot for photos, and now they kill that off. And I saw a tweet, I think, saying that if you look at the top grossing apps in maybe overall or some category, Aperture is still number two or something like that. So people are still buying mm-hmm. it. And they're replacing it today since OS ten OS ten ten dot ten dot three came out with the new photos app, I think is available. I haven't tried it yet. But what is sort of Apple doing? Are they? Do they have some kind of similar thing with Pro software that they're not, they're being a little slower with it, or they want to get that mushy middle and say we don't want to make new products, we don't want to make super pro products, we want to make high end consumer stuff, in that middle ground. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I do use Final Cut 10. You know, I, I cut this podcast with it, and I do a lot of some video work as well. And I can tell you that it, there was a bit of a learning curve between Final Cut 7 and and 10, and. Um, and, and there was a lot of a lot of backlash. In fact, I still know there's some Final Cut Seven users out there, 
uh, in the in the pro video market, right? But but uh, and I think because of the way Apple skinned it to make it look a little bit more like iMovie, people kind of objected to that sort of dumbing down af- approach. Mm. But it's it's actually in the long run a, a much better experience as far as using goes. But uh, of course, you know, one of, one of my biggest pieces in in my reseller days was selling excerpts, right? I mean, that's where I you know sold a lot of excerpts. You know, a lot, had a lot of opportunity to go and help people install excerpts and configure them and that kind of stuff. And they got rid of that whole line and got out of the whole server market altogether. So they, you know, they gave up on that market and, and let, you know, the Dells and the other people take over on that kind of stuff, you know, Intel and what have you. Um, but uh, so it kind of, they kind of walked away from a, from what to us, some of us was, a, was a, a good market for Apple to be in because they built, they built great products. Ser- I still run two servers downstairs, you know, um, so and and it does seem to me that they are spending a lot more time in in the pro in the consumer world, like with the iPhones and iPads, and now with the watch on the horizon, right? So there seems to be less focus on productivity. Although I shouldn't say that because I mean they still make great Macs, right? So yeah, it's a little sad because I saw a review on Photos app saying it offers features that aren't in usual photo editing and that are expert, such as changing brightness and exposure or something like that and i was thinking that's not that's that's not an advanced feature what's wrong with these people (laughs) but that was kind of my point that for a regular person it's like oh exposure and changing saturation this is advanced navy seal so i can kind of see the appeal of that and for consumers feeling like they're getting a pro product sort of quote-unquote free of charge and maybe that's the new way that they're going maybe that's what they're going to do with hardware too if you look at say the imac 5k and saying that's the premium product, not quite pro. Maybe I guess we can argue about it. Is it a pro product? I don't know, but it feels mm-hmm. like a pro product. But it's still in the reach of a consumer. Maybe that's the new high end, high end ish kind of market that they're looking at. And yeah. I'm okay with that. I would be fine with that because it is uh, a powerful CPU, uh, great specs on that machine, and an amazing display. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think um, it, it would be a rare professional that would not be satisfied by that hardware. Um, and I think it's the same criteria that we can use for the laptops too. Like we, we are looking at machines that have, um, the latest available processing and bus speeds and all that stuff, right? The things that we need to get our work done faster. Right. And, and the whole idea being when we upgrade, we're expecting to have an improvement in our ability to do our jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's really not something that we can expect, uh, over what we have now compared to two years ago that, uh, it's an incredibly marginal improvement. Like I look at my MacBook Pro 13 inch right now from 2012, mm-hmm. and and it is not a substantial uh, step back from the one that I could go into an Apple store and buy today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the point I'm coming at. It's like why would I why would I spend twenty five hundred dollars on a new computer? That's marginally when, better, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's so marginally better. Yeah. Well, this is the same thing was the case with the, with the Mac Pros as well because I mean, the last decent Mac Pro was was the 2009 model, and they came out with one about six months later as an upgrade. But it was, it was like no greater machine than than that was already out there. And then they waited three years, and it almost seemed like four years, I think, before they brought up the new Mac Pro. And it, that, that's yeah, there was a long delay there. But yeah. you know, to Apple's credit, they were at work on a substantially changed piece of hardware for that's that. True, right? That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that the same thing isn't happening here. Like, we could be look, looking at um, a, a big change about to happen with a new series of professional MacBooks that 
um, that take cues from the new consumer MacBook. Right. Right. Um, I don't know, like, but you know, I think given Apple's uh, hardware cycles, uh, that might happen at WWDC. You know, we've That's seen that true. happen before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But then again, it could also be next November, you know, which is another common time for Apple to update their laptops. Hmm. Right. Yeah, because they, they rolled out the tw- the uh, Retina 15 two years ago, I think, at WWDC. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feels like it's been more than two years, uh, but. There, I, I would love to see more happen in in Apple's hardware. <laughs> no, I think, hardware. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually, three years is more like it. Um, I'm hoping it'll be laptops because at this June in WWDC, they're probably not going to show a watch, new watch hardware. No, of course and not. they usually don't do the <laughs> iPhone, iPad. So I'm really hoping it's going to nope. be 15 inch MacBook Pro new design. I forget the order when they did the titanium and then they switched to the aluminum. I think they did the 15s. First or the 15s very last? I can't remember now. but It's generally been the 15s have led the way. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was thinking, yeah. too. The 15s, and then they're like, all right, now we'll update the back when they had the 12 and the 17 and whatnot. Yeah, so I'm and hoping, they did the same thing with the Retina transition. Yeah. Uh, the 15, yeah. 15 got it first. And so then... I'm hoping this June there's no other. The slate is clean of new hardware to introduce. They're not going to introduce a phone or right. a new watch all so soon. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be a brand-new 15. I think that makes sense. You know, yeah. with with uh, my prediction would be uh, updated MacBook Pros and a new Apple TV. Oh, that's right. Of course. Well, yeah, the Apple TV. That's that's an interesting one too. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt about that and uh, a lot of speculation because because of the whole starting at sixty nine, you know, sixty nine bucks or whatever it is, or American um, to get the Apple TV stuff going. Alrighty then. So uh, today, the embargo seems to have been lifted on the reviews of Apple Watches. There's been a lot of, I guess, the um, reviewers out there have been running around with Apple Watches for the last little while. And so there's been a, a, a flood today, I think is probably the best term for it since it's raining here. Um, a flood of reviews on the Apple Watch. So I'm sure Aaron has something to say about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is... Uh, I guess we had to expect that they were coming, but, uh, you know, when the floodgates open and suddenly my Twitter feed is full of about six or seven, 4,000, 5,000 word articles, and suddenly I'm not doing much in my job in the morning. Mm-hmm. Ah, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think my uh, my employer listens to this show, so, you know. <laughs> I think he, doesn't he sponsor our show? He does. <laughs> He's a real sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, uh, so I browse some of those reviews, and I think what we can do is is maybe take away that um while while positive there were certainly things about the apple watch that gave the reviewers pause mm-hmm. and i would say that it was not a hundred percent glowing set of reviews mm-hmm. so it kind of took me aback a little bit and while the consensus is that the uh, among smartwatches, the Apple Watch is clearly the leader in the market. Um, it clearly isn't for everyone either. And some of the things that they point out in the review, um, and some of those things that are of most concern personally to me, have to do a lot with third-party apps. Mm-hmm. In the implementation that, that the reviewers are working with, the time works well. Uh, looking at the watch, like tilting it up towards you to get the time, works fine. Uh, as as reported, Siri is working very well, um, but not dramatically better than what we would have on a phone today. Um, and uh, 
glances are a little stuttery. Josh Topolsky, I think, was that pointed that one out. There's some performance issues in, you know, although this is a first-generation product and you can't expect it to be perfect, I was a little concerned by this observation that um, notifications as they come up on the phone uh, tend to be a little janky. And uh, there was a video that accompanies uh, some of these reviews, and uh, you can kind of see it, like a little stuttery performance. It's not 60 frames per second, you know? So uh, I think it's a little cause for concern. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so looking through some of the the, uh, the reviews that were written, and uh, some, some places have summarized these reviews, um, the overall impression being that you can – it sort of fulfills the promise of that you can – you know, get things done, detach from your phone a little more, which is one of the things that we're looking for in a watch, you know, keep your phone in your pocket as much as possible. Um, a lot of these reviewers were talking about how the notifications were extremely annoying and plentiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not concerned about that one because it's quite clear how you can manage your notifications using the Apple Watch app on your phone uh, to selectively choose which notifications make it to your watch. And so I, I just chalked that up to knowing how to use your damn watch. <laughs> um, so I'm okay with that. But some of the interactions, and we've seen this even from the, the uh, try-on event at the Apple event that happened uh, last month. Right. Uh, we heard some concerns that the UI of the watch is a little difficult to use. It's, um, it's different from the phone, for example, um, moving around the interface, selecting apps, and the way that apps are used uh, takes some getting used to. And we got a little sense of that in the reviews that were published today as well. So uh, the, the surprise about it, I guess, is that there's going to be a learning curve that, on something that comes from Apple, you know, which isn't meant to say that, you know, no Apple technology comes out of the box and it's totally a gimme to use, but... Uh, in this case, at least, it seems that there is definitely going to be some learning curve. And one of the reviews pointed out in particular that it seems that this watch is not as much for, you know, um, people uncomfortable with technology, but for first adopter type folks who are going to have an easier time uh, learning something new, you know. Right. So, yeah. you know, me, not my parents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I think there's going to have to be some work done on Apple's part if these bear out in actual real-world usage. So, um, on the plus side, battery life seems to be just as good as they were saying. Um, there was a video by Joanna Stern, um, and she actually did this really great video uh, taking the watch around for a full day. She had a camera strapped to her head. Mm-hmm. so that it would ha- be a nice first-person perspective while she was wa- lock, uh, using the watch through the day. Right. Um, and her her watch actually didn't survive the whole day. So by 10 p.m., it was in reserve mode, and she could only look at the time. Um, but everyone else was reporting that um, battery life was excellent, that if uh, you left it overnight even, it could last into the next day. Um so that at least seemed like good news. But, I mean, obviously you have to charge it every night um, or else you're going to run out of a battery. So something to keep in mind. 
products it seems to be typical of Apple products these days, though. You know? Pretty much, yeah. pretty much. I'm, you know, I'm, frankly, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, I, I know we can't expect a whole lot uh, in terms of battery life when you're talking about a big, beautiful color screen um, in something that th- that is this small. Um, but I was really hoping to be able to use it as an alarm to wake me up in the morning. Um, I current well, I currently have a Fitbit, right, that I wear yeah. on my wrist at night, right. and uh, it has a vibrating alarm that goes off every morning, and it wakes me up. Hmm. And I would love to replace that with an Apple Watch, right, right. But uh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so um, I got to figure out how I'm going to wake up in the morning once I have this thing. So. And there are a bunch um, of app updates, yeah. and they said support for Apple Watch. And I know Apple had a developer note saying if you release your app with a watch extension, then there are some people who have them, so make sure your back-end services are up and running and whatnot. Were, did any of the reviews talk about using third-party apps and how that experience was? Yeah, well, that's that's actually the scariest thing. I, I feel like from reading these reviews that the third-party app experience is the weakest link here. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, talking about using Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a, tran- a transit app of some kind I saw that uh, they just took forever to load. Yeah. They, they were incredibly slow. Mm. Um, and even transferring those apps to the watch from your phone, like at install time, uh, is, is quite a lengthy experience. Um, I was uh, So today I was watching a conversation between Brian Gillum and Robin Sr., and these, these two guys had both been down to Cupertino, in order to test their apps against real Apple Watches. And they were able to verify that there is a great deal of pokiness involved mm. in getting apps from the phone to the watch. And uh, because it's going over Bluetooth. And so they were finding that um, if you're a user and you're looking to install apps on the watch, you should probably be as selective as possible. That's the impression I got from that conversation. If you're, so, if you're a user... Yeah, if you're a user of the watch and you've got, say you've got, like, you know, you're going to open up your Apple Watch app on your phone, okay? Yeah, yeah. And you're going to see a list of all the apps on your phone that have watch extensions. And then you'll have the option to install them on an individual basis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably also going to be an option to just install all, right? Oh, uh, right. I would not recommend pushing that all button. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't recommend just... You're saying, ah, yeah, install them all, and, like, t- tap every install button down the list, right? Scroll through this, like, you know, 80-row table view and just hit every install button. Hmm. Do not do that, because uh, then you would be in for a world of hurt. Uh, it feels it feels like from these reviews and from that conversation that there are um, definite performance penalties associated um, with moving apps to the watch and even when using the apps on the watch. And I bet you that all of that will be ameliorated come WWDC and the native SDK. But for now, it seems that this this uh, you know watch extension method of running applications on your watch yeah. uh, may not be as magical as we were hoping for. Well, it's interesting that you say that because because I, I and I was reading one of the articles um, earlier today from I think it was The Verge, and he put a picture a GIF of of the spinning um, circle-y. Uh, I guess it's the new spinning beach ball-y kind of thing. Was having done some development, I, I find that that sometimes the when you when you fire up a watch app, even on the simulator, it seems to take a long time. And I don't know if Apple's trying to simulate the experience for us as well, right? But uh, <laughs> I've actually but heard they they do have some simulation uh, of sorry. how fast. Like if you send an image to the watch, 
they do yeah. simulate the delay in sending it of how long they think it'll take over Bluetooth. So I have heard that it does that. Well, because because I noticed the other day when I was running something that uh, that running an app and doing a build, it you know I got the little spinny wheel and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to see a lot of that, and that's exactly what one of the reviewers said, you know. Um, and it does seem, uh, you know, it's odd that it takes a long time to, to, to launch an, uh, a watch app, even on the simulator. You know, you're running with the state-of-the-art CPU here, really. But I mean, Well, state-of-the-art, <laughs> that's a funny way to put it. Well, considering um, our earlier conversation, I mean, it's, you know, I think the uh-huh. processor in my, in my MacBook Air is significantly better than what's going to be in the watch, right? Theoretically. Oh, yeah. No, not, you know? not even theoretically. And notwithstanding totally. the fact that, that we're also talking about the Bluetooth network, too, right? We're just going to be laggy as well, right? So That's exactly true. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's interesting that, that that's been my experience in writing WatchKit apps, that, that it, it does seem to be a bit laggy. And it, and it concerns me that when you see that kind of stuff, I mean, when we first were building apps for iPad, you know, one of our first apps, we used to embed a lot of content in the apps because we were, we were concerned. Like if you're going to be in the middle of a giant, you know, Walmart or, or Supercenter somewhere, you know, with no cellular service, what's your experience going to be like? And so as developers, we were cognizant of that and we were trying to put as much as we could you know, on the device, so you weren't going to an internet connection to try and, and uh, retrieve stuff. And as it turns out, you know, generally speaking, unless you're in the middle of Vermont or something like that, um, service, cell service around major cities is pretty good, and we're actually able to deliver stuff wirelessly. But, um, you know, that that's a concern for me, is, is, is how slow it's going to be. And it's going to be that, you know, you're going to get the three-star and the two-star reviews because... Consumers aren't going to understand that the, it's not your app that's a problem and you're a lousy developer. It's that perhaps it's the, the whole hardware and this whole extension jazz, right? It, yeah, but even so, I think a developer can uh, help with those issues by having fewer resources moving down to the watch, right? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Or communicating with the watch on the fly even. Yeah. You know, like we're seeing a lot of – because there's no animation on the watch, right? People are using this flipbook technique tossing 60 images onto the watch in order to supply an animation that lasts two seconds, right? So um, that's the sort of thing that I think is going to really bulk up the transmission time. Mm -hmm. So, Greg, can you speak to some of your experiences building WatchKit apps, or have you done much? Well, I think the thing I brought up was I put a link in about the page that Apple put up for, I think it's just called WatchKit Development Tips, and one of the developer evangelists tweeted that out. And th- there's actually some of the points you just mentioned, Aaron. One of them, right at the top, I had a couple of highlights, but under general guidelines, it says animate with image sequences and store image sequences on Apple Watch. So those are sort of right at the top. And I guess they're trading off the, yes, it'll take a long time to install this app, but once it's installed, it's it's there for free. And you can animate these images as much as you like because it doesn't have to transfer them every time. Yeah, it's kind of like preloading the cached images on a website or something like that. Yeah, so they seem to be saying, nope, do it all up front, you know, short-term or upfront pain for later gain. Mm-hmm. The other thing later on was, as we also talked about, minimize traffic. It says, a well-performing WatchKit app requires minimal traffic between iPhone and Apple Watch. That's also number one in performance. So they seem to know that even small... I mean, when you change the text or you change an image, if you're just naming the image to use, that's a pretty small thing. But they seem to be saying, no, try and do that as little as possible. And so that's sort of top of the list in performance. And then I guess the only other thing I had scrolling down is share code with frameworks. So frameworks, having dynamic frameworks, I believe is new in iOS 8. Is that right? Dynamic linked frameworks. Mm -hmm. So it's good Mm -hmm. to see that they're 
that's going to be here to stay. There's still some issues when you mix Swift and Objective-C in the framework that I've run into with mm-hmm. that blasted non-modular header inside your framework include error that there are various fixes for. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's good to see that they're saying, nope, framework's here to stay. Please use them and then share code between your iOS app and WatchKit extension. So that doesn't actually save any... Well, I guess that saves space on your iPhone. That doesn't actually... I don't think it saves space because you're not actually running code on the watch. So it's not going to help your transfer speed when you install the watch app. But again, it's just good to see that frameworks are here to stay and it's a recommended thing. And I guess part of the reason they introduced it was for this whole extension business, not just watch extensions, but all the other kinds of app extensions. So that was good to see. I think it's a little bit weird and I'm kind of interested for a little bit more information on, you know, the animation thing. So normally with mobile devices the um the display is the number one battery hog always mm-hmm. always always right mm-hmm. yeah um and then after that are the radios so gps devices the cellular network wi-fi so bluetooth so i'm a little curious as to how it could possibly be you know better performance all around to have the um Let's say look from battery life, because the only saving grace I can think of is computation on the watch. Mm-hmm. So battery life-wise, I can't see how it's better to send, you know, a few hundred images so you can get a really nice smooth 60 frame per second animation rather than just having a simplified bit of calculations that are possible on the watch itself. Mm-hmm. The only alternative I can think of is like, oh, well, because the watch's CPU can't actually handle that kind of calculation. Yeah, I would have expected at least a minimal like translation animation. Like, here's an image. I want to move it off screen. And no no fancy rotation or anything like that. I just want to move it. I was expecting at least that kind of thing. But it's like, nope, you're going to have to draw each frame, put them on the watch. And is that computationally cheaper just to flip the images? I guess so. You still have to decode 10, 20, 30 PNGs. But maybe that's still, maybe that's still cheaper. Mm-hmm. And The Verge had an article that came out about, uh, I think it's one of the flower animations that's real pretty, but it's like 24,000 images or something crazy <laughs> like that. Right? Whoa, really? Wow. That seems like, oh, you found an interesting alternative, but this this is obviously wrong, <laughs> right? I, I, this feels like a stopgap measure to me. Yeah, it seems they were stuck between uh, proverbial rock and a hard place. It does say, there there is a hedge and says, to reduce load times, you know, use the fewest images possible for your effect. So they are saying don't make the really complicated 60 frames per second kinds of things and keep them short. But at the same time, if there's no other alternative, then I'm not really sure what what you're supposed to do between the minimize traffic, keep the size down, and also, nope, any kind of animation, you got to have images for each frame. Yeah, I think it, it's sort of the situation right now where developers, I think, are going to have to make hard choices, at least while the the reality of it is like it is today, you know, where we're basically running apps from the phone onto the watch. And I don't think you can think of an, a watch app as something very dynamic, you know? The very notion of doing these these animations on the watch, I think even walking down that road might be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's leading to this performance bottleneck. And, I, and I'm worried, given the reviews that we've seen, um, and what we've heard that these these sorts of apps are going to lead to a lot of frustration, you know. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm the guy building a watch app today, 
using the tools that we have at our disposal, then I'm thinking to myself, my app is going to be nothing but table views with text labels <laughs> and maybe static images. But that's it because we can't really get away with much else. Aaron, you had mentioned before that basically that native apps might be coming this year in WWDC. Is that what you think this June? That's what App- they're going to announce? Apple has said that. Have they? Yeah, they, yeah, they said later this year. Um, but you think and- it's going to be WWDC? Well, it makes sense, right, to uh, announce that SDK at the developer conference, right? Because where else would you do it? Um, and it may not be available until the fall, but they certainly would have to talk about it at DubDub. Who do you think? Um, what would be interesting is if something was kind of talked about at DubDub, but then not actually you know, handed out and available to look at, is whether Apple would go with the new set of Apple Talks or whatever. I forget what they call them. They haven't done them uh, every the year. Tech tours, you mean? Tech talks, yeah. Yeah, tech talks. There we go. Something to cover up a little bit of the gap for that, and also ease some of the pressure of trying to get the entire iOS ecos and Mac ecosystem mm-hmm. into five thousand tickets. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, I would still expect to see something about that at WWDC. So, um, but I could easily imagine a similar situation to say an iOS intro where. You know, we're going to talk to you about it. Here are all the APIs, and it's going to be available in September. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened for a, a native watch SDK. Or it's, you don't need native. We've <laughs> It's all going to be web apps, right? They are, they are awesome. Or the mm-hmm. sweet solution, I should say. Oh, right? gosh, yeah, yeah. That's a sweet solution. Don't mock Steve. He's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you guys have any, like, when you rate, read the, uh, assuming that you did read these reviews of the Apple Watch, uh, did it alter your impression about about the thing, and, and did it affect your thinking about whether you'd buy one or not? Well, I think we're all we're all imprisoned by the fact that we need to buy one. But um, the it, I don't think it did alter my 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 impression of what I thought it would be. I, I wasn't there wasn't anything that I read or heard about in those two. I read two reviews today um, that to me sort of leapt out and said, "Oh, geez, I didn't know that." You know, it was kind of all sort of stuff that we've speculated about or. Or sort of had heard about. I mean, the battery life being one thing. I mean, one of the reviews I read, I think it was, um, I'm not sure if it was Groover or the other one, the Verge one, uh, said that you know on a particularly long day when they were using the watch a lot, they weren't surprised that the battery was was low, but uh, generally it was good. I mean that because that's one of the things we've not known about as as you know people out in the public is is how well the batteries are going to survive. Um, you know things like the spinning wheel. That's uh, yeah, I kind of speculated. I thought, like I said, I was speculating that that might be the case. We'd end up with a lot of spinning wheel kind of business with with third party apps, and that may in fact be something we're going to have to get used to. Um, but yeah, well, I don't, I don't, yeah, that's not acceptable to me, by the way. No, I know, I know, <laughs> and, and, and you know, and that's that's going to be the that's going to be the the, the the challenge. I mean, you know, I, I'm a little, uh, to be honest with you, I'm a, I I think it's a great idea, product wise and all that kind of stuff. But I am a little concerned that it's gonna it's gonna be like the first iPhone was. I don't know if you remember the early days of iPhone. You know, all of us who were gonna go get an iPhone went and got them, and then there was like a gap of about a year or eighteen months or so between getting all those BlackBerry people to put their Blackberries down, and to you know all the Nokia people put their Nokias down and switch over to Apple iPhone, or even and I don't even think Android was out at that point in time. But um, I'm a little concerned that 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 especially with craziness like the edition watch that that apple has maybe bitten off a little bit more than they can chew really 
you know. But we'll see. I mean, it, no, I don't know what you mean. Like, what what do you think? Well, I, I, I'm you know, I don't I don't know how crazy and earth shattering the the watch as a as a as a tool is going to be to the to the general public, right? Or how long how long the adoption is going to be? And things like the spinning wheel of death are not going to help it. The things like the fact that you know third party apps are going to be laggy or or issues like you know animations are gonna are gonna be disappointing. I did read one thing where a guy was sort of saying, you know, when you're on a call, you're looking at a picture of somebody. It, it is it does get you that sort of sense that you're communicating with this person as opposed to seeing their face move and their you know like a Skype call kind of thing. But but uh, you know people kind of still expect that Dick Tracy sort of you know chatting with somebody on a video watch kind of experience. It's I don't know that anybody's expecting that. Well, I don't mean but, I don't mean in a one point but you know I'm what I'm saying is it's not so much that you know we as the early adopters, we're, of course we're going to go out and get the get the, the watch. They're going to they're going to knock the you know like Simon Sinek said in the story or in his talk on what we'll start with why they're going to knock out ten percent you know without without too much effort, but getting into that middle market middle market adoption is going to be a, a bit challenging, and I wonder speculatively whether or not the watch can actually survive that you know as a product the thing that you know as i was listening to you talk there tim and you mentioned the original iphone yeah um when that came out and you used it for the first time yeah you know running ios or sorry iphone os yeah. 1.0 yeah. um it ran very well yeah no and to be honest with you i was actually i, I spent like a month where i had my blackberry as my main phone and I, and I had the the iphone beside it kind of thing and yeah it was after a month i was like okay yeah i'm just gonna dive in both feet right um and and you know i never looked back never looked back i mean i felt guilty when i sold my blackberry for 25 dollars at a garage sale you know um but the point i'm making is that you know apple's hardware introductions it's 1.0s yeah are are very slick yeah yeah you know yeah. the first ipad very slick the first iphone very slick yeah um you know these these are machines that that don't appear to be encumbered by their hardware and my concern in reading these reviews is that uh the watch appears to be encumbered by its hardware. oh you think so eh okay yeah. well that's that's what we're seeing here yeah. is like if, yeah. if you're seeing lagginess in the apps that you're getting with this phone, or sorry, watch, um, then uh, then there's clearly something going wrong here. Are people experiencing laggy on the native stuff, or just on the third party apps like the Twitters well, and the it, Ubers? Yes, and... it does appear to be third party apps, but you know, end users are not going to distinguish. No, and that's what I was sort of saying. That's what I was saying earlier that that you know it's it's going to be. Uh, it's going to it's going to reflect badly on the developers of those apps, and the, you know, especially the, these large people like Uber and, and Twitter, um, whether or not people are actually going to understand that it, it's not it's the nature of the of the equipment and and the infrastructure that's the problem more than the fact that the developers are crappy coder. Yeah, you know, totally, so, totally. You know, the, I mean, the the, uh, the app store is littered with all kinds of people who started out with uh, in large large companies as well, who their first shot at, at building an app uh, for the iPhone or, I, or for the iPad was lackluster, you know, and, and uh, you know, even though because of their brand, they sold thousands and thousands and thousands of units, they still got really bad reviews. I mean, I was reading something today about or hearing something today about um, some of the some of the, you know, top 10 apps still get three and two and three star reviews right yeah i saw that too yeah. yes it's so. it's quite true i mean it's uh, an app star rating does not necessarily relate to its popularity i mean although, <laughs> that's actually although, one of the topics i had although here. <laughs> and, and, that, and the thing about this is that you know we have 
you know, seconds to sell somebody on buying on buying our app, right? And and the first place they go to look is they go to look at those reviews, you know, sort of thing, right? So, yeah. Well, you know, to bring it back though, I think we are going to see poor reviews for some of these watch apps. Oh but yeah. But mm-hmm. I think I think going uh, right hand in hand with that maybe and this is my concern and a sort of overall impression that the watch is a little on the pokey side yeah no and that's what i'm sort of saying like that was my my gut feeling from the get-go of once they announced it's a product i mean i mean even like i said i've said it before many times not exhaustingly so that that my first impression of the wa- of the phone coming to market was like i didn't get it right and uh but after having used the product and and you know then i started evangelizing about it because it was such a great phone or not just a phone it was a great device you know it was a better browser out of the box hands down than a blackberry for sure right i don't think blackberry ever caught up to the watch in terms of browser well maybe maybe the later versions but um yeah, this watch thing concerns me, you know. But but then again, I'm not a watch wearer, right? Where I was a phone user and I was living on my phone and running my business on my phone at the time when I got my first iPhone. Um, but you know, I I I do have concerns, and I think out of out of the three of us, notwithstanding Greg, we don't know what his his opinion is yet. Um, you know, Mark's excited about the watch. You know, Jaime's excited about it. You're excited about it. I'm the one that's sort of saying, yeah, I'll get one because I'm a developer, but I'm I'm. I have my trepidations about it, right? As as a consumer and as a developer and as how I think it's going to fit into the market, I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. First first iterations are going to be difficult, and if it's as laggy as these reviews are saying, that's not going to help. So it might be worth pointing out, like I think what I heard because I I've not had time to dig into some of the lengthy reviews. Mm-hmm. So the stuff from Apple was working just fine. Is that correct? Am I on the right premise? Yes, that seems accurate, okay. yes. So that pretty much resolves the concern about, like, you know, is this fundamental to the watch itself? And it's not. So so that's good. Now, the third-party <laughs> stuff, you know, and, and exactly how that's being um, integrated with the watch as opposed to what, you know, Apple can cheat mightily every time it does uh, stuff. Um, that's a little bit less concerning, particularly because, I mean, it's... A whole brand new thing it was done largely in secret in back rooms literally back rooms mm-hmm. um and 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 some of the the companies that they dealt with aren't necessarily uh and, and certainly the, the kind of apps that would have likely been reviewed by you know the, the typical news article places um mm-hmm. they're not exactly known for having the best developers <laughs> at least right, when right. it comes to performance <laughs> right <laughs> try using facebook <laughs> and twitter and you'll be like oh my gosh what what do all these 200 to 2000 ios developers do every day yeah how did they get that app, app approved for sure yeah oh facebook you just wow really i thought facebook had really good developers Jaime. tell me tell me that i'm i'm right or wrong here <laughs> the, because these guys are are so High level, you know, Xcode can't handle our scale. Here's all these new frameworks for building apps and, you know, all kinds of nonsense that comes out of that place. And yet, are you saying, because I don't know, because I'm not a Facebook user, that their apps actually kind of (laughs) suck? Yeah. And maybe it's not. Awesome. So maybe it's not, you know, (laughs) stepping back. Maybe it's not bad developers, but it's certainly like a bad, you know architecture and integration and release process and product management like it, it sounds like it's more of a people problem than it's a technical problem well you'll the- see their f8 conference like hey guess what we increased performance by 30 percent you're like oh what'd you do 
blah blah blah. I was like, well, that was a dumb idea. Why'd you ever let it get to that point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe because you have two hundred developers and it's it's kind of hard to coordinate that huge monster, right? I mean, yeah. I understand. I I can totally get it. I, I don't I don't get why you need two hundred developers to develop one app. Really, it doesn't make sense. Mind you, they got there. You have a bunch of different apps. I should say that. Um, but Aaron, take take for example the Twitter native apps. I mean, are you are you using the Twitter app on your phone? No, of course not. Yeah, I use uh, Tweetbot and Twitterific. Yeah, so so I think it's a, that's the same sort of thing. I mean, like I think what Jaime is saying is that that you know these large mega corporations, you know, they're I don't think they've got it together. They're not as agile as a smaller shop, right? True enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, I guess it'll be you know it's going to be a wait and see. We're going to see. You know, with all those thousand plus third party developers that have submitted apps to the App Store now, mm-hmm. um, by the time the watch is on our wrists, we're going to have a lot of examples to look at to see, and we can make a determination whether the whole notion of third party apps on the watch is a bad idea uh, mm-hmm. before they they go fully native. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I'm concerned about you know because because I'm mulling over a few app ideas myself, right, and and. You know the, the reports of the, the you know the network itself between the radios on the device and the phone being an issue makes me think maybe you need to build an app that has most of its stuff on the app, like you know like whether it's buttons or timers or yeah. what have you, as opposed to trying to deliver. Because I mean, we, I've heard discussions with people about you know using core data on the the phone extension to communicate with the watch and you know and where the where those issues are going to be, and and I think. I think one of our friends of the show, or friends of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but didn't uh, Evan say that he was having issues with lagginess or, or things not syncing up properly between the watch and his his app? I do remember that, and he is using core data, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's a yeah. possibility. So, yeah, because he was he was saying something about the fact that that it didn't, um, you know, the the, wa- the phone would update, but no, the watch wouldn't necessarily update in, in in the same sort of time. There was some issue that he was having with that, but uh, but you know, those kind of like. That's an ambitious idea, if you think about it. You know, after after reading these reviews, it kind of takes it makes you take a step back in terms of what you would do, right? What would you do after reading an app like, or after reading these reviews, uh, Aaron? Like, I mean, you've asked us what we think. What do you think about it? Well, I, I'm not going to lie. It it really did. I had a moment of of ambivalence about whether I was going to buy the watch at all. Really? Um, hmm. Totally. Yeah. Like, I actually said, hmm, maybe I'll just hold off for six months or so. Yeah. And then, and then I said, "Ah, <laughs> I'm gonna get one on Thursday night, <laughs> of course." Yeah, and, and, and that, but that, but then again, that that comes back to what I was saying before: is that that that's kind of that's kind of your your uh, your unconscious brain making that your primitive brain making that decision because you know you, exactly, all the other yes. cool kids are gonna have one, you're gonna want one too, right? So, and you want to yeah. be in that first group of people who who buy it anyway, even though we know we can go next week and buy one. You know, theoretically, at the store, all we all we all know the demand's going to be so high they won't be in the store for weeks. Mind you, you shouldn't say that because Apple always does reserve some to be in the store, right? So, are you going to go look at them? When are they When are they going to be in the store to be looked at this weekend? They will, yeah, on Friday actually. That's when you can start booking appointments to go in and have your little watch try on experience. Right, but right. Obviously, if if you want to guarantee that you can have one, yeah. on April twenty fourth, yeah, then it behooves you to be awake at three a.m. Eastern time. And yeah. making that order in your Apple Store app. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where you're at. And then on Friday, later in the day, you can go into a store and try it out yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard I heard somebody say today, or either 
I don't know if it was my Mac reading me one of the articles or whatever, but um, that switching bands is, is a bit clumsy too. So because there was you know discussion about. Oh no, no, I'm not. Yeah, I. I don't know. Joanna Stern showed in her video that she had kind of a difficult time with oh, it. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, Gruber's review said that, yes, it is a little funny to get used to, but once you do, it's no problem at all. Oh, okay. Right, right. Yeah, don't, yeah I don't think that's something that you want to blow out of proportion. Well, that's no, I mean... first world problem right there. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I can't change my bed. Help me. <laughs> I can't change my bed. Oh. So I think it's worth noting here that... Um, I think where people from the development side are looking at the watch, uh, I think they're looking at it in a context that um, probably needs some old school thinking. Mm -hmm. So bear with me here in that, you know, the iPhone has from day one gotten increasingly more powerful with every successive generation. The iPad, when it was introduced, was pretty much, you know, more powerful than the phone and more powerful every year, hence. This is the first time in a very long time in that we have a device that is by far the least capable from a hardware perspective mm-hmm. out there, right, from the, its ecosystem. It's not better than iPhone. It's not better than iPad in any measure. Right. Um, Absolutely. So I think people need to stop thinking about it as like, you know, oh, yeah, whatever, CPU, Moore's Law, all that will save me. It's like, no, 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 this is an embedded device. Like embedded software is kind of what you were doing with iPhone and iPad anyways. But, you know, Apple and Intel and all these folks um, were pretty much saving you and Qualcomm, Motorola, saving you with all of these things. Uh, They really can't save you on this one. You really have Mm -hmm. to look at, okay, if my app is pokey, why is it pokey? Do I really need those animations? Maybe not. Can I carve something out of the data that I'm transferring to the watch? Maybe it doesn't need to be JSON. Maybe you should start looking at something else like protobufs or at least making your JSON model Smaller, if you're using core data, making that smaller, trimmer, 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 doing every little thing to eke out every little bit of performance yeah. as if you were a developer in 1993. Or 2007, 8, rather, 2008. Mm-hmm. You know, when the iPhone came out, there was a lot of similar talk, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, but I don't, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that Apple's future iterations of the S1 architecture are going to give us more performance, you know? I think it's reasonable to expect that uh, an Apple Watch five years from now mm-hmm. will be uh, quite computationally impressive. Oh, yeah. sure. And even next year's, I'm sure, will make yeah. this year's feel like garbage. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Um, even more so. I mean, you know, like looking at these limitations that we're seeing, I think it becomes abundantly clear that you probably shouldn't invest too much in this watch because when they come out with next year's, it will be way better. Yeah. And you'll want it because mm-hmm. there's definitely hardware compromises being made on this watch. Yeah. So spend as little as you can if you have to have one. No, yeah. And I think, can't I, wait I, for the I, next I, one. I think that's, a, that's the case, too. And see, my, my experience, too, and I just remembered an analogy here that, you know, when, when I was in the midst of, you know, writing apps for iPad and probably had, you know, had a few apps in the store by that time, when, when I first saw a 7-inch Galaxy Tab from Samsung, and I thought, okay, well, because my clients were all making noises about Android, and we got to get on Android and all that kind of stuff. So I saw one in the store, and on an impulse, I bought one, you know, fairly close to when they first came out, and I have hated it ever since, right? And that's kind of sort of what I'm concerned that this watch is going to be. It's like, you know, 
yeah, it's okay as a, as a tablet goes, yeah, I can browse, you know, my, I never could get my email set up on it properly, but you know, and, and, and it's clunky and it's ugly and it's, it's like the windows of, I mean, I, I can't even remember what, what OS it's on. It's like Frodo or gingerbread or something stupid like that, but Frodo, some, believe it or not, no, Froyo, Froyo, it was frozen yogurt, whatever, <laughs> whatever, it sucked. <laughs> I don't care what it was called. It was crap, right? What you really want to do is take that Android phone to Mount Doom and throw it into the lava. I would love right? to, yeah, but the, you know that would require effort, and I don't think I don't think it's worth doing that. You know, fair enough. But, but my point is that you know I I laid down some some good cash on this device, you know, because it wasn't cheap to get in at that day, and and it turned out to be a, a, a really. I mean, looking at it right now, they're on, on my shelf. There, I haven't taken it out of the box in like a year. You know, and it's just it's it's left such a bad taste in my mouth as far as hardware goes. You know that that you know it's it's such a piece of crap, and I just I just hope the first watch isn't that. No, it, I I can't go that far. Um, I have my concerns about the watch, but there's no way that it's going to be like a Samsung Galaxy tablet. <laughs> just no, no, I'm not even going to go there. Can't get my email set. Yeah, how's your how's your uh, AirDrop working, Aaron? Um, it's actually it is better. I I don't know. Um, I don't know how to explain it but uh it's it's more reliable not 100 percent, but uh, more reliable well that's good it was it was like absolutely useless a couple of weeks pretty ago. much yeah. yes mm. yes but i keep trying suffice to say we're all going to be there on friday morning super early ordering our watches is that right i'm, yeah, I'm think, just debating whether i'm going to stay up or whether i'll go to sleep and some, set three alarms that's the only well, okay, well, that's that's a decision to make. Um, I mean, I think I, I'm I mean I'll be singing around the campfire with my guitar, and, and uh, we'll be ordering our watches. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect it'll probably be like a thing. I think you'll have oh, people yeah, meeting sure. in the lobby or something. We'll, we'll like, be periscoping, yeah, periscoping for sure. Oh, yeah. totally, yeah. When you're at NS North, that's going to be so awesome. Yeah, and what, I'm, and it be I'm fun so if, jealous. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun if the, if the network's crap too, Jaime? <laughs> <laughs> That would be a problem. <laughs> okay, so have you guys decided which watch you're ordering? I'm getting the lowest of the low. Black, all black, uh, uh, fluorolastometer. Um. Yeah. Okay, so the black and black. Uh, Jaime? Full black sport. Yep. Greg? Uh, same thing. Full black sport. Wow. I think I'm getting that, too. Like, it's it's between that one and the uh, aluminum with blue band. That's the, uh, really? the only hmm. choice, yeah. I don't know. I kind of like it. It's uh, it's it's really sort of a fun color, but uh, I, I think that the serious side might win out. I'm sort of like a, a frosted mini wheat, you know, or or like Jaime's uh, hockey hair, you know, party in the front. <laughs> <laughs> the Business in front, party, party in the back. In the, back the mullet, yeah. yes. The, the mullet theory of watch purchasing. <laughs> I, I was briefly considering uh, the white floral elastomer, but then I decided right. no. You know, that's I'm not yeah. an animal. Go for the black. So, yeah. <laughs> come on, give your head alike. a shake, man. <laughs> we think alike because I was doing white first, and then I decided to go with black. Yeah, to be honest, I'd like to have a leather leather strap, but I can't I can't pull the trigger on that purchase. It's ridiculous. No, that's too it, hard. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if if over the years the the watch uh, mechanism connection thing is going to stay the same. Right? It's yeah. like those smart cases you get for the iPads that no longer fit on any of the devices you have. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised either way to be honest with you. But uh, we are seeing a lot of third party activity around watch bands, so mm-hmm. I have a feeling that no matter what face you end up with, you'll have a lot of choice in new bands. Oh, you think the third party people are going to leap onto this? We've already seen it. Oh, have we? Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Didn't we? Didn't we talk about this last week? We we talked about it. We speculated before, but I don't know if. Uh... But we we saw a link. Um, in last oh yes show. yes yes that's right you're right you're right there was where things talking about things getting out of hand somehow and like 
<laughs> with uh, third-party accessories for the watch. Yeah, no, I did, I did see some links. I don't know if we talked about it in the show, but I saw a couple no, of videos and, and I saw a few mm-hmm. videos of, of some commercials of uh, people who make watch kind of paraphernalia uh, talking about making bands for the for their new watch. Yeah. I was happy to read in John Gruber's review that he was saying the floral elastomer he thought would be. You know, he's like, oh, I see why they didn't call it rubber. And he said it was actually quite luxurious feeling and very yeah, smooth. I, like I was that. very happy to read that. And he said, I think when you buy the edition, it comes with the super gold band and a floral elastomer band. And he was thinking, why would they Why would they include that with the $10,000 one? But really? then he said, yeah. I think so. Is that is that right? Or am I making that up? No, you're, you're, no, you're totally yeah, okay. right. It's, uh, the, mm. the gold edition comes with a, a floral elastomer okay. band, but the, the pins are gold. Yes, exactly. But he was like, why would they even give you that? Like, you know, it's a $10 part. Why would they throw it in? But uh, he, Well, maybe he because when you're working out, you're going to get all sweaty and you don't want to get your nice, you know, $10,000 yeah. watch band dirty or whatever, yeah. right? But apparently, floral elastomer, it's very luxurious. So I'm looking for it. I don't feel as bad getting the sport. I've even seen that the the edition watch has a little patch of leather on top of the uh, the gold. Uh, what do you call it? Digital crown as well. Interesting. I didn't know that. Hmm. All right, so we'll go around the table like we usually do, and we'll see if anybody has any picks. Jaime, do you have a pick? I do. It's a curated list of uh, or a collection, as some might say, of UI components that are on GitHub, as curated by uh, Caesar Worth. But it's a really good list of this index of third-party components that you can put for animations, um, photo and videos, tab bars, collection views, you know, notifications and alerts. Um, it's got all of these wonderful animated GIFs that show you a little preview of what they do so you can kind of decide you know, what makes sense and, and what might be kind of interesting for your particular app. Um, I think as usual, uh, putting my Mark hat on here, I mean, you don't want to necessarily just cobble together things from stuff you found on GitHub. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you don't necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, right? Of just like, hey, I really do need something to do um, overlaid notifications, and I really want to focus on the rest of my app. Well, there you go. This is a quick way to get something out there that might look nice. Well, I think when we first got into into iOS, we were looking at a lot of third-party stuff, and then, then we met Mark, and we learned the error of our ways, right? So, No. Development, it's all like Lego. You just got to snap the pieces together. I, I really like the animated GIFs. It really makes you see what you're getting. I really like that. Yeah, some of these like are relatively new. Like the folding tab bar is a really interesting idea for having kind of a minimalist tab bar that is contextual. And you'll see how they show, they show in the animated GIF that there's like a photo. They click plus. That expands out to a full tab bar that's related to handling the photo. Oh, cool. And yeah. then you can shrink down to go to other things like, you know, editing the post and other so on and so forth. Huh. And really not that dissimilar from context menus you might see on, uh, actually, on, on Android, funny enough. Just like in a, in a nicer and less generic way. There's some really cool things here. Damn it. <laughs> it's not too late, Aaron. They can just all be shoved right into Magpie. Just choose like uh, ten of them at random and just put them in there. Feature freeze. I'm done. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> just do well. These aren't features. They're they're UI enhancements, right? They're not features, right? Yeah, uh, Aaron. Don't worry. It's true. Yeah. Don't you need like a skewed parallax view of like all the videos that you're looking at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh my good lord. Oh. So this is just um this is just a directory page, right? Like this isn't actually one project that has all these things, right? Correct. They, they come from different yet. sources. You oh, know, it's, it's like a, it's a like curation an aggreg- kind of thing. Uh, an aggregate list. Cool. Yeah. Neat. I'm looking mm-hmm. for... Oh, there's the one that my client wants to put in the app. Perfect. 
<laughs> Ka-ching. <laughs> oh, wow. What's this? Okay. Um, anyway, we could probably look at this all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mesmerizing. It is. Well, that's cool. Okay, so Greg, do you have a pick? I do have a pick, sticking on the sort of watch theme of the episode. It's an open source project from, I'll say, friends of the show. I'll be presumptuous and say mm-hmm. friends of the show at Instagram. Mm-hmm. My colleague and friend Ryan, is he is, is that a transitive property? A friend of a friend of the show is also a friend of the no, show? No, actually, we talked, about Ryan, we talked about Ryan Nice from last week. You did week, last week, right? With yeah. his post about the so, vector So I have, kit, to ask, I, I have to ask, okay, so Aaron is the only person that caught the, the Easter eggs that I put in, in the graphic for the show last week. It, well, you know, his, obviously, his was obvious, looking but, at my own logo, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I guess nobody else noticed any any listeners out there so, seeing any Easter eggs in there. Let me know, make comments, you know, Twitter me, whatever. Well, I didn't know you were asking for comments. Did you ask for comments in the episode? I, I didn't really that. know, okay. but 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 you know, I always whenever I do the the graphic for the show, it always it always relates somehow to the show or something that I'm that, that I'm interested in working on or whatever. But but there was there was a couple of uh, I, I think. I wasn't intending to make them Easter eggs, but then when I thought about it after the fact, I put some friends of the show. Yeah, I got those. I didn't know you wanted people to oh. write in and, and point them out or anything. Well, I, I nice. recognize all the faces in there. Okay, I get, thank you. I'm glad you did. But right. you know, next time when uh, Tim tells the jokes, he really does want you to <laughs> to laugh. I want you to laugh. I, d- I didn't realize. <laughs> I will. I will email Commander. Ha ha ha! I will fill in the contact form exactly. and tweet at you and all of that. Now that I know. Sorry, Greg. Go ahead. Right. So my pick is from a friend of the show, Ryan Nystrom. He has an open source project. He's an engineer at Facebook, works on Instagram, and he has this project called IG, for Instagram, I guess, IG Interface Data Table. Mm -hmm. And I think we were talking before the show started a little bit about how tables on WatchKit work. And they're very, very simple, where you just say, I want 30 rows, and it creates 30 rows, and then you have to have a loop and say, give me row one, I'm going to set it up. All right, give me row two, I'm going to set it up, and so on. That's how they work. Mm -hmm. It's not like... UI table view where you have a data source and it asks you as it goes, reuse, sell, none of that stuff. You just set it all up at once. And it's just a flat list of rows. So if you want a header or you want sections, then you have to do it yourself. So you have section will be row zero. You'll have data in rows one to five. The section header for section two will then be row number six. And then you can imagine if you want to insert a row in section three, row two, you have to then go and figure out, oh, that's actually row number 18 in my flat list. So it can be quite a pain to set that up. So this open source mm-hmm. project lets you have that kind of data source. And you can have a table header and a table footer for the whole thing. And you can mm-hmm. have sections, section headers, rows. It's all, if you don't want a section header, you don't have to. And so it'll let you set it up. And it uses index paths, just like we're used to as iOS developers, rather than just right. straight row numbers. So it's really it's a really handy way to get your watch kit tables to work as you would expect with index paths and sections and rows. So that's really cool. cool. And then as an added bonus, there also there's also some clever method swizzling if you opt into it. And instead of just the generic did select row kind of method that WatchKit gives you, it'll cool. let you it'll actually call did select header, did select section header for this section, and also the very handy did select row at index path again. So you don't have to deal with the row numbers any anymore. Cool. So it's a really cool open source project. I believe it's actually being used in the Instagram WatchKit app extension, mm-hmm. I should say. So it is being used out there in the wi- in the wild by a real company, and uh, it's open source. So you should check it out if you're doing tables, which I imagine a lot of people are doing tables in Watch Apps. This will make your life a lot easier. 
So, so let me ask you a question. So does Ryan, this is unrelated to the thing, but does Ryan work on the open source uh, side of Facebook stuff? Like, is that kind of one of his things? Or I think he works on Async Display Kit. I've used that a little bit, and I've seen his, oh, right. I'm pretty yeah. sure I've seen his yeah. name in the commit logs there. So he does work on that. Um, yeah. yeah, he did a talk on that at, at RW, how are we saying it now? I still say RW DevCon, just like I R- still say WWDC. I don't like saying Dub Dub for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I just don't like it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and the other question I want to ask, so I, I get to ask the dumb questions. Can you explain what swizzling is? Sure. That's one of those tricks in the Objective-C runtime because it uses dynamic dispatch. When, mm-hmm. when, we're, when you're teaching Objective-C, I'm always very careful to say you send a message to an object rather than, say, ca- right. invoke or call a method on an object because That's correct. Yep. of the way it works. So usually the message you send is you know count, and there is a method called count, and they line up one-to-one in mm-hmm. everyday life. So, yeah, when you're just talking in casually you just say send a message call a method it's the same thing but there is a i think it's using a you know sort of like sort of like a v table in c++ it's a dispatch table so when i send you the message count call the method count or i can mess around with that and say no 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 when you call the mess when you send the message count actually call the method do something else and format the drive so that's called swizzling where you exchange uh, the implementations right. so you're saying no do this instead of that and the extra bonus thing you can do in the Objective C runtime, is swizzle methods on foundation classes like NS string and NS array, and you can mess with things like that. So swizzling in this particular project is to take control of the did select row. I forget what it's called. Right. It's did select row on table or whatever that one is. Did select row, did select row to index path. Right to, to sort of get that functionality working. It's sort mm-hmm. of a. You can also say it's an alternative to subclassing. You could, of course, subclass NSString if you wanted to with all your extra behavior. But mm-hmm. then the pro- that then the benefit and also the danger of swizzling is that it'll affect everything. So if Apple has NSString somewhere in there then in your app, then it'll actually use your swizzled implementations instead. Mm-hmm. So that's the danger and also the great benefit of swizzling. Cool. All right. I hope I explained so, that right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, my pick this week is kind of in a roundabout way. We were talking, uh, a bunch of us friends were talking about color palettes the other day, and I saw a talk by a fellow teacher at um, FMC, where, where I teach iOS, uh, talking about Adobe Color, which used to be called Adobe Cooler, K-U-L-E-R. Um, they rolled this into the Creative Suite and they as one of their iOS apps, and it's kind of cool because you can actually build color palettes uh, that you can then use in your in your app design. Um, usually, you get five colors in a cooler that basically show you, that are co- some complementary colors, and uh, it's it's creates a good palette if you want to do something. And you can actually use the app to shoot at uh, a picture or my dog or whatever, and get a palette of colors that are that are related and, and work well together from a design perspective. If you're not a designer, you didn't go to art school or whatever, you may not know how to pick out some pleasing colors that work well together, like whether it's a website design or, or an iOS interface. Um, but I wanted to talk about uh, the, the apps in general in that from Adobe, because it seems like they've they've updated all of their apps uh, recently. So I'm a, I was a big Adobe Ideas user, which was basically a free sketch pad that they gave you. Um, that you could basically, you know, draw draw ideas and create I- icons and things like that using the app, and they've renamed it Adobe Draw, and they've rolled it in again into the the Creative Cloud thing, um, 
And my only objection to it is that now you need to have an app, an Adobe ID in order to even open these apps, which I find a little annoying. Uh, but uh, weren't you saying something earlier about another app, uh, Greg? I uh, did. I found it. It's called Slate, and it's a, I believe it's Slate. only an iPad app, but it's to make. I think just to make cover, like if you want to make a magazine cover, it's basically mm -hmm. you pick an image and then you put on some text and you pick which font you want and it makes a nice cover. And I guess you export it as a PDF or a PNG or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. pretty simple. But I can't remember why there was some story or press release or something about it. And I happened to see it and I downloaded it. And yeah. now that I think about it, maybe I did have to sign in with my Adobe ID to even get into the app. Now that you mention it, I don't remember. Well, that. I mean... I mean, there is a side benefit to the Adobe ID thing. If if you're a Creative Cloud user or you plan to be at some point in the future, is that, um, like, for instance, if you use this cooler app to build a color palette, um, you can actually sync that into your other Adobe apps. So, for instance, you can use it in, in, in InDesign or Photoshop or Illustrator um, or whatever other apps that uh, Adobe decides to come up with, like iPhone 1.0. Um, and... It's kind of neat, but but uh, it's and and of course you can you know if you if you if you if you have that you can sync things between your Adobe account and and get them in there. It's all part of their subscription service, and I think we're you know I think we may have talked about this before. That a lot of apps are moving towards subscription-based services as opposed to having to buy the the big apps. You know, um, used to be that you'd have to spend you know seventeen hundred dollars on Adobe Suite. Now you can get the whole thing for I think it's forty dollars a month or something like that. Interesting models, but it's just changes in changes in the way that apps are being served up on on devices. Um, you know, you, you may not know. I think actually, you think you mentioned it earlier, and I, and I did this as well on my iPad. I updated it yesterday, and now Acrobat is no longer a standalone app. And now I have to you know again create an, an Adobe ID just to read a PDF file in Acrobat on my iPad now. So. There is a snazzy new icon, at least. There's the consolation. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a border, Tim. It's got a border now. Oh, does it? The, or the the icon? Look at that, yeah. Weren't we supposed to not put borders on things at one point when they went to the new roundy icons in iOS 7? Hmm. 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 When they went you know, to the... You, you, you don't have to use Adobe software to view PDFs on your iPad, eh? No, I know. I, yeah, you can just use a native native thing, but... but yeah, a lot of times I work in, so I still work in the creative worlds. People comment their, their Adobe files and send them over to you, and you know, so it's it's a lot easier to, to annotate things inside. Resistance is futile, you know. You will be assimilated. Alrighty, so I guess that's it, and we'll call it a night and say goodbye for another week, and we'll see you next week. So goodbye. 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 If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps. However, you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening.
Another good show. How how was your second podcast? Is this your second podcast? It was my second. Uh, Tammy has actually invited me on her podcast. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. That'll be the third. I think Mick is. Mick was like, "Oh, you're on another podcast before your own." I'm like, "What do you mean my own?" And I was like, "And by the way, Mick, you run that podcast, so I'm still waiting for my invitation in the mail. So I will have three other podcasts." Three other appearances before I, I even get an invite to that one. So he needs, he needs it embossed with gold leaf. I, was, I want a handwritten in the mail at this point. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. We've got to see your penmanship. We've got to see a good, gorgeous penmanship. I think this is going to be my thing. I'm just going to do every other podcast and never be on the, uh, never be on the Ray Randolph one. That's just going to be my thing, I think. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about that. So, so they just ended their season. So how many episodes do they do? Do you know? Ten episodes. It's very British, oh, isn't it? Uh, I'm, I'm surprised they don't call them serieses like the Brits Well, do. they should only do six then, wouldn't it? That's maybe? true. I've seen some that are ten, I think. Or I guess I don't know. So so how long between the next season? Like, do people have to wait like a, a full year before they start up again? No, or? they wait three, maybe a month, something like that. Oh, yeah. I see. But okay. then they tweak the format. It's kind of interesting. They tweak the format and they get feedback and that kind of thing. And people say, oh, oh I like this. I didn't like this. And they have time to talk about it. And then they launch another season. So that's, yeah, that's how mm-hmm. they do it. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. hope Jaime gets the full questioning when he comes to the uh, board. <laughs> <laughs> You think the border cops listen to our little podcast? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's fine as long as you don't like publish it before I'm actually in Canada. So you know. So here's what we do, Greg: is we send him a bunch of emails about the job offer that we're going to give him. Oh, that's right. So there's a record, and then when they look through his phone, they'll be like, you know, I'll be like, I could have hired a Canadian for this, but you know what? I'm going to give it to you. You want to include get that with the hair? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how the zombie apocalypse is going to start. You know? So <laughs> I got to study up on that before I go on Tammy's podcast. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And what's your favorite color, too? Right? <laughs> oh, I'm so nervous about the quick fire questions. I'm glad you guys don't do that. Really? Oh, what is your favorite color?